This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. This is streak four point oh. For the Anaheim Ducks after losing tonight 3 nothing to the Vegas Golden Knights. I want to say it's a predictable scoreline from what we thought it was going to be, but the, the way the game went, I don't think that... Mm. The, I don't think I would have predicted the Ducks would have played this well. Uh, Probably not, especially because Vegas has owned Anaheim since they've come into the league. Like yeah. 100%. Well, the Ducks never have, and, a, they have one win against them in Vegas. Yeah, and like 17 times this year, I think the broadcast said Vegas has put up over 40 shots. They, I don't think they got there in this game, but still, I, I mean, this is a team that just generally owns teams in shot share. And you get to the end of the game, if you just looked at the game flow charts on natural statric, if you look at expected goals, and you just took all of that and you didn't look at the score, you probably would have thought the Ducks probably won this game. 3-2, 4-2, something around that. That's, that's probably the score you would have thought would have happened looking at the data. And then you look at the final outcome, and it's the 28, uh, 2019 Ducks this year who just can't score any goals, and they get blank, 3 nothing by the Vegas Golden Knights. Marc-Andre Fillet played a pretty good game. Yeah. He, actually, he actually had a strong game, made some really good saves. But the Ducks blew their own chances. I mean, we'll get to a lot of them later on, but the, the big one was Corey Perry had an open net hit the post. Oh, uh, so. well, there was that. There was Sprong almost getting a breakaway. There was uh, Ricard Raquel. Uh, dipping in behind the defense with a nice little toe drag and not able to finish. Just a lot of things didn't go right for this offense tonight, of all times, right? They they, they dominate a game offensively. They outskate another team in the Vegas Golden Knights and then get burned anyway, 3 nothing when John Gibson makes his return to the crease and they can't put in any pucks in the damn net. It is so frustrating. My left eye is bloodshot, and I think it's just because the Ducks couldn't score. I have it's no other reason stress. for it. No other reason for it. This one's fine. I'm covering this team for 65 games this year. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised. But, yeah, like you said, John Gibson made his return tonight. He looked strong. He Mm -hmm. had a good game. But that's what you expect from John Gibson. Uh, Because he came back and Miller's backing up, Kevin Boyle was sent to San Diego. Ryan Getzlaff still in the lineup. They say he's getting close. I don't know exactly how true that is. Give him the rest of the year off. Who cares? Like, Just give him the rest of the year off. The Ducks right now are running with exactly 12 forwards and six defensemen. They, they're yeah. just not even – nobody up. They have used two of their emergency call-ups. They're just rolling the dice right now, going with, with who's in the lineup and at least trying to keep San Diego a little bit competitive. So we'll see if Getzlaff comes back soon, and then we'll see who jumps on the lineup, probably Daniel Sprong, because I, out of all the guys in the roster right now, that mm. seems to be the guy they don't like. The yeah, <laughs> they were right? bummed they couldn't move him at the trade deadline, right? You know that was a thing. That was a thing. That was totally a thing. Yeah, like it's not it's not his fault, and he actually had a pretty good game tonight. And, and that line was the strong Henry Perry was probably the best line for the Ducks, but management just doesn't like him. So when Ryan Getzlaff comes back, obviously Ryan Getzlaff is going to play, and then somebody has to go out, and the most likely guy to go out is is probably going to be uh, Daniel Sprong. Uh, Ducks honored Ryan Miller before the game for oh, yeah. his 375th win. I believe he's at 376 now. Uh, but they gave him a really cool, I don't know if you saw it, but it was like, you know how they give a silver stick for 1,000 games? Yeah. They gave him like a silver goalie stick that said 375 on it. It was engraved and everything. So the Samuel is actually putting out to to get him a nice uh, 
gift, I guess you could say, in honoring him for for becoming the winningest goalie in American history. I mean, you have to do something for him, and he's a great guy. He's a great player. He's 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 somebody that the Ducks are going to probably have back next year. He's expressed that he's gonna he's, he wants to play. He loves Southern California, so. I mean, why not? They got to do something nice for the guy, and he deserves it, man. The winning this goaltender, uh, oh, winning this American—I know you're going to say it—American goaltender yeah. in history of the NHL. That's a huge deal for us, uh, poor little Americans, according to Canadians, right? I mean, he's we're barely, still he's still up there, right? Barely in, squeaking in into the game. All-time sure wins. Like one, right? He's like 16th or something in all-time yeah, wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the best. Yeah. He's I mean, one if, of you're the, best. if you're the winningest American goaltender, you have to be pretty high up there. I mean, you're. He's definitely nearing the point where he could eventually get close to the top ten. I don't know if he'll hit it because he's no longer a starter, mm. and he can probably at thirty-eight. He's only got what maybe this the rest of this year, next year. So you know, fifteen, twenty wins in, in a good season for him. But let's let's get into this game. So the lines pretty much exactly the same. I actually don't think they changed anything, which I, I wasn't necessarily upset with because. These lines haven't looked that bad, and I guess this is the best you can go with, right? Like, Henrik Sprong and Perry look good. Shore at actually centering Silverberg and Raquel has been a very good line, and those were the two best lines for the Ducks in this game, well above 50% of the shot share. Uh, Grant, Jones, and Terry, we've seen them, seen them together before this season, and up until this game, they'd probably been the best line for the Ducks, mainly because of the way Terry and Jones have been playing. Took a step back tonight, but they still had some solid chances. Both Jones and Terry had a couple quality scoring chances this game. Even Derek Grant had a good net drive. And then the new look fourth line of Kessler, Rowney, and Richie, which I've been decently impressed with. It hasn't been that bad. It's a decent fourth line. Carter Rowney, uh, game by game, I, I start to like that guy even more. Just what he brings to this this lineup. He had the first a good chance at the game for the Ducks where he broke in. And got a good shot from the right circle. And just defensively, he's responsible. I mean, he's a, a great piece to have if you're looking to build a team. I mean, he's a good fourth liner. You got to have those guys. You can't just you can't just expect to have high end talent over the place, right? You got to have you got to have guys to fill in the bottom six. He's a great guy for that. I feel like. I mean, that's where he's got to go. No nothing no, nothing wrong with that. No, David David's back in the YouTube chat. With the, the Joel Quinville to the Ducks thing, he's riling, he riled up the chat in the last show. Oh. He's riling up the chat again in this show. Dave, but, you know uh, Ricard Gronberg was at the game tonight, not Joel Quinville, right? Uh, yeah, I, I want you know we might as well get into that now because I was going to get into it after the game, but it, it is kind of just a small topic. But Ricard Gronberg was at the game today, just scouting some of the Ducks Swedish players for the uh, the World Championships. And I said, maybe they should just uh, lock him in a closet somewhere and, and keep him around <laughs> until his contract expires and, and give him the job. Because, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not looking into it as in the sense that the Ducks are talking him with, with him for a coaching position because he was there for one reason and one re- reason only. That was to scout guys at Campus Lindholm and Jakob Silverberg and Ricard Raquel. But still, I mean, maybe Bob Murray pulled him aside after the game. I mean, said, I, hey, I did give him give that him loaded up. question when we interviewed him. I gave him that loaded question. So there's all these Swedish people, <laughs> all these Swedish hockey players that play for our organization, and uh, just so happens you're the head coach of the uh, the Sweden national team. Um, you would probably want to come to Anaheim, right? <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, I hope so. I, for me, he's still my favorite of the guy I want most to come. You know, it's going to be Dallas Aikens, though. He's he's going to have to. He's, yeah, you know, he's going to have to come up. I think so, but you know, Ottawa just fired their coach, and there's a. Some rumors going around that they're going to be looking to replace um, Guy Boucher and now Mark Crawford as the interim in the offseason. And I'm sure Dallas Aikens could get some calls from the Senators as well. You never know. I, I think the Ducks, I, I believe, have first right on if they want. I would assume they would. I mean, they, they he's in oh, They would have to get permission for them to be able to talk yeah. to, uh, to Dallas yeah. Aikens for sure. Yeah. But still, I mean, there are other possibilities out there. And I don't think, you know, I think he's the most likely option that's going to get it, Aikens is. But. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think it's a hundred percent. I think they're going to go and, and have a formal interview process and bring in a, you know a few guys that they want, and then they'll make a decision after that. But let's uh, let's get into the game. So, like I said, Rowney had the first good chance of the game, broke in with some speed and got a good chance from the right circle, which is uh, nice for him. And then Corey Perry uh, on the Henrik and Sprong line had a, a pretty good chance early on. He, he created a rebound, and, and Daniel Sprong almost cashed it in. And almost is the theme 
of the Ducks offense, especially throughout this game, but just recently, where they almost scored, they come close, they hit the post, the, the goaltender makes a good save, they miss the net. That's just been the trend. I mean, now over the last four games, the Ducks have, what, five goals, and three of them came in that game against the team with the worst defense in the league in the Chicago Blackhawks. So yeah. it if you exclude that one game, it's two in the, in the last three for the Ducks against good teams in Edmonton, Calgary, and Vegas. And, oh, look, they're all Pacific Division teams as well. So not a, not a great stretch from them. Uh, Gibson, again, we talked about him coming back and, and having a strong game. He has to come through early. Statsny breaks in, and Gibson has to make a, a, his first big stop of the game and has to follow that up by falling backwards to cover up a puck because he thought it squeaked through him. But John Gibson, I mean, we can't say enough about this guy and what he means to this team, even in a, in a failing season for the Ducks. He comes in and he just provides so much confidence, I think, in the defenseman, where you just know that this guy is going to make a couple of these big saves a game. I mean, that's what he does. It's what he's done all year, and it's disappointing that there was. I mean, what's what they always say? There's no, there was no goal support again. This team just can't yeah. score. Um, and then Vegas, when they, I know that you're going to get into the goal here, but I, I have to talk about it right now because that was some of the prettiest passing five on five I've seen. I thought it was a power play at first when I because I didn't was that see, not a power play goal. Uh, there was five Ducks players on the ice when that was scored, my friend. So that was not a power play goal. God, I put that in there as a power play. It must have been right after the power play expired. It was. It was the Ducks at that point had it's one lifted. shot on goal. Vegas had four. Are you talking about the William Carlson goal? Yeah. It's listed as a power play goal. They're full of shit. There was, or yeah, there was five Ducks players on the ice at the time of that goal. That's not a power play goal. NHL messed that up, my friend. Either way, the uh, the passing on on this play, and it's about twenty seconds of just passing beforehand. A couple block shots, couple block passes. Mark Stone shot gets blocked, and then it's just the Carlson, Shea Theodore, Mark Stone show where it's a, a pass from Carlson in the left circle to Theodore at the point who slap passes over to Stone, fakes the shot, waits, and throws it across the crease to William Carlson. And John Gibson, I feel sorry for the guy because he's just going left, center, right, left, center, left, and then goes right over to Carlson who just wires it into an open net. Literally has the full net to shoot on at that point because of how precise the passing was on this power play. This is probably the best sequence I've seen from any team the Ducks have oh, played. And it was a power play. I'm an idiot. Play. It was a power play. Yeah, it was a power play. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, you look at this, too. I, I mean, they do get a bit of luck, too, because Mark Stone throws it through three Ducks players, and it hits Lindholm's stick right at the end and oh, falls perfectly yeah. to William Carlson. Yeah. If, it, if, it, if it doesn't hit Lindholm, that goes right into the feet of Carlson. He might not be able to corral that and put it into the net, but it just gets a nice piece of Lindholm's stick. And goes right to, to the uh, forehand for Carlson. He's able to throw into the net. That, the, I mean, the one on the one touch passing on that play was absurd. It was just absurd. They were able just to tee the puck back and forth around the point. I don't know, man. It's what are you gonna do? It's a power play goal. It's it's perfect, and that happens sometimes. It was just a perfect play by the Knights. Uh, yeah, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, but they've been doing that for a while. I, I mean. We talk about the, the speed that they have, and it's almost not speed as in skating speed. This team just passes the puck so well that they just play fast, and that's been their hallmark since coming into the league. Only less than two years ago now, I mean, that they're more than halfway through their second season, and they've still been doing this. And then you bring in a guy like Mark Stone, who can not only score and play defense, but he can make a pass like that on the power play. Uh, you know, that's why they're so dangerous in this game, and Anglin finishes the period by hitting the crossbar, so Vegas almost gets a second one. But, you know, at the end of this, you know, Vegas did come on strong at the end after the goal, but the Ducks played a pretty good period. And this has been typical for them this year and will be the same in the second when we get to it. But they'll end up playing a good period, and you come out of it, and you think, oh, yeah, they, they maybe got a goal here or at least came out even, and they're down one nothing. Yeah. Uh, and it's the other team taking advantage of their opportunities and the Ducks just not being able to score. It's been snake. They've been snake that all year. And is, if, is it, but it's at this point, I mean, 65 games in, can you say they're snake bit or they like, just don't have the personnel to score. They just don't yeah, have the personnel to score. Yeah. Like, you know, you could say that for, for guys over a span, like Max Jones has been snake bit, but you know, Ricardo Kell has been a mix of bad luck and just not playing well. I mean, he had bad luck in, in this game where he made a great move. And Floyd made a toe save, 
But generally, he just hasn't been good this year. The same can be said for a lot of players in the Ducks' offense this year. And, you know, there's always luck involved when a team is this bad offensively. You know you know who had a great game things. tonight? Brandon Montour. Brandon. Oh, yeah, he scored for the Sabres. <laughs> he definitely scored. Twitter, he scored yeah. the tying goal, and then they ended up going on to win that game against Pittsburgh tonight. So, hey, it looks so weird seeing him in, in a new uniform. He's wearing 62. For the uh, for the Sabres because I, I believe it's Rasmus Dallin or somebody's wearing 26 mm. for the Sabres. So uh, Brandon Montour flipped it around is wearing 62. But yeah, I, I mean, looking at him celebrating, seeing him in a new jersey, just looks so weird because we're so used to seeing him in a Ducks uniform for so long. So it is weird. Kudos it's, to him. Yeah, yeah, man. Hopefully he has success there. I wish him well. I hope he I hope he does well there. Honestly, I, I don't hate him. I don't hate the Sabres. So. And they're not even in the same conference, so I don't mind if he goes over there and does well. And they have a good young team, so he'll be there for a while, so it'll be nice to see. Um, Getting into the second period, as I said earlier in the show, Derek Grant had a pretty good chance where he drove to the net, but uh, Flurry ends up gobbling that up and making a save. The Ducks putting a lot of pressure early in the second and really throughout the whole period because Max Jones... Say this every game. Gets a good scoring chance in front of the net. Redirects it. Obviously. Yeah, he needs Flurry. one. He needs one, man. He's due. But Flurry, the the ever aggressive goaltender, is out to meet him at the top of the paint to really just take away any angle or any possibility for Jones to put that in the back of the net. And this is really where the Raquel Shore Silverberg line took over because they had a span in the early part of the second period where they had pressure for about two minutes, where it allowed the Ducks to not only change defensemen, but eventually switch over to the, for some reason, Kessler, Richie, and Rowney line, who immediately lost the puck and ended all the pressure from the Ducks. But I, I've been surprised with this line. You know, I you know Ricard, Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg are great offensive players, but Devin Shore has generally been used as a left winger since coming over from Dallas, but he played at center with the Stars for a while, and now... With Ryan Getzloff being out and Sam Steele being in San Diego, they decided to put him at center, and he's looked really good on that line. And I think you know a lot of the defensive responsibility has gone to him, which has allowed Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg to focus more on offense. Yeah, they had a good they had a good night tonight. They generated some scoring chances here and there. I mean, Devin Shore. I mean, is he good? Yeah, he hasn't really done much since he's come over for the team, though. I mean, you gotta you gotta think of it like that, right? I mean, he's not scoring either. He's he's part of the problem. So he's had some good. Sh- I, I guess he's had some good shifts and, and a couple of decent games. But they, God, Eddie, this team really needs to do something this off season, or this is going to be one nice long retool, as Murray put it, or maybe it'll be a rebuild. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. They they were able to focus on offense here, but I don't know, man. It, it's hard to praise a guy when he's not scoring either. So this whole team has just been has been brutal on the score sheet. Brutal. Yeah, you got to look for little things when you know this team isn't going to score. Yeah, they and had chances. It, they outchanced the Knights yeah. five on five when they were on the ice. But just... Devin Shore has nope. never been a guy that's going to put up a lot of points. Going to be a thirty point <laughs> guy in a season. So as long you know wherever you can fit him in, and if he looks good, then that's fine. I you know didn't look too great when they had him playing left wing before because they were playing him with guys like Kessler. And you now promote him to essentially, I guess you would call this 1A or 1B top line. It's hard to really pick between this line and the Henrique line as the top line for the Ducks. But he's looked pretty good. And, and uh, you know, I have to give him some credit for playing well. Um, and after that play, the Ducks had outchanced Vegas 9 nothing at 5-on-5 five five through the first 12 minutes of the period, but nothing to show for. Corey Perry play. needed to score tonight. How many chances that guy had? Oh, God, yeah. And there's a play later in the period that we've already mentioned, but that, that he easily should have scored on. But even after the first 12 minutes, 5-on-5, five five, out chance in Vegas, 9 nothing. Ducks get a power play, don't generate anything. Troy Terry makes a power move from behind the net to get a good chance on Flurry. Of course, Flurry makes the save. And then Derek Sprong, or Dan, Derek Sprong. Every, every show I mess up somebody's <laughs> name. Jesus. Daniel Sprong gets a uh, kind of a half breakaway. He doesn't really use his speed too much and then just throws a backhand pass because he thinks somebody might be with him. Goes right to Colin Miller who launches a pass to a cherry-picking Alex Tuck who breaks in behind Brendan Gooley and slots a five-hole on John Gibson. I mean, the Ducks had controlled play at pretty much every facet in this second period. And then the Gold Knights are so good at counterattacking get one chance to make the, make you pay, and Alex Tuck breaks in for the goal. I, Alex I mean, Tuck's a great a player. 
And, it's and just what, such a heartbreaker. Yeah, but what are the Ducks going to do at that point, right? I mean, Sprong's not able to turn his chance into a golden opportunity when he had the ability to do so. Uh, and it gets turned another way. It, kind of the way it goes. Uh, you see it all the time in hockey. I don't watch enough other sports to know about it in, other, in, you know, in, in those cases. But whenever the ice feels tilted for a long period of time and you don't score, you always feel like the other team, they, could, they just come back and score on their next play. And the yeah. Ducks had the ice tilted against the Knights in the second period. And the Knights come back and, and counterpunch. And Alex Tuck, good player. He's a really good player. I, like, I know how much you don't like soccer, but the, you see this uh, it's, a lot. It's, it's kickball. We call it kickball. Well, whatever. I, either kickball. way, you see this a lot in that sport where you'll get a team who dominates for most <laughs> of the game. And there will be teams who make their money up being a counteract a counterattacking team. And it's not as prevalent. You can't do that as often in hockey. You can't just sit back for an entire game and let the team pressure you. You're going to lose games that way. But in soccer, you see it often. And there will be teams who make their money, like I said, off counterattacking. And Vegas – to some extent, has done that in the NHL, where they're a very good counterattacking team. They can withstand a lot of pressure. They have a good goaltender in Marc-Andre Fleury. And then they, all it takes is, is one second for them to make a stretch pass like that, one guy cheating behind the play, and they have a goal. And against the grain of play, because the Ducks end up getting out of this period, dominating this entire period, one of the best second periods they've had in a long time. And they don't get a goal, and they actually get scored on. Like, yeah. th- this is so typical of the Ducks this year to play a good period but come out on the bottom end of that period when you look at the goals like that's and, and to top it all off perry had a chance to actually pot a goal for them daniel sprong found him wide open flurry has about half the net covered Perry has another half of the net to shoot at on his strong side and hits the post so to top it all off you get scored on and then you have a chance seconds later but i think it was just over a minute later after the puck drop to get a goal and you hit the post. Yeah, I mean he's he's just I don't know, man. This whole this whole team it just can't score. It's great they had a nice game, but embrace the tank, baby. Embrace the tank. Oh no, you yeah, can't for be sure. upset about it. No, no. You, you if you're embracing the tank, this is the type of game you want because it is as bad as that they lost and as frustrating it is that they lost. They played a good game. It was a fun uh-huh. game to watch. It wasn't you know when they played Vancouver and looked awful. Oh. And didn't have any chances and lost four to nothing. This was a better game. The Ducks played a good game. They looked really good. And, you know, there were some guys you're mainly looking at. Brendan Gooley had an amazing game, which was nice to see him play. He played the second most minutes of any Ducks defenseman today, only behind Cam Fowler by about four seconds. And it was 23-27, I think, is what he played today. I mean, that's a, a big step forward from the 19 he played last game. And not only did he play 23 minutes, he looked amazing all the way throughout. It didn't make any mistakes. Made some very smart plays. Was the guy who was on the ice for the most five-on-five scoring chances for the Ducks with 20 throughout the entire game. Fourth in shot share for the Ducks. I mean, we'll, we'll break it down more at the, at the end of this uh, recap of the game. But Brendan Gooley, these are the type of games you like to see guys do well, even if the Ducks lose, to go for the tank. At least you're seeing these players progress and, and play well. He was out there for 21 scoring chances for. That's absurd. That's how, that's oh, yeah. how, that's how good... He was tonight on the ice. Uh, I mean, yeah, he was also out there for two goals against, for both the goals against besides the empty nutter. But he had he had a large upside to his game tonight. Um, it was I think it was a solid performance by him. Unfortunate the way those goals went in. What are you going to do on the uh, on the power play goal? It's a power play goal. And and even on the second one, I mean, like you can't really blame him for that in the sense maybe he lets Tuck get behind him, but you're not out muscling a guy like that. I mean, Tuck is a, is a big kid. Uh-huh. And, you know, Gooley is a little bit too at, at 6'2 and just under 200 pounds, but slight guy, younger guy. It's it's one I wouldn't tend to blame him too much for because of the strong game that he had. Yep. Uh, let's go into the third that. period where the Ducks actually, you know, we've seen them before where they don't have a lot of fight back this season, but they actually picked it up in this game. And they had some really good chances to get back into this game they just couldn't get things going it was a slow start for about the first five minutes for both teams and the really the first big chance of the game was max patch and the problem for the ducks still is not just goal scoring but there are times where their defense can get carved apart by just two passes and that's what the the golden knights did on this it was a pass from patch ready to i think it was colin miller at the blue line and then Patrick just cuts between both Ducks defenders, and it's just a simple pass between them, and he's off for a breakaway. Luckily, he can't handle the shot and misses, yeah. but 
you can't get like it was three Ducks players back, and they got carved apart by two passes. I mean, that just can't happen. And but they, they they've just they get opened up like that every once in a while, right? And and Vegas has that exploitability in their game. But you're right; you just can't be giving up that kind of chance. And Pacioretty had multiple chances in tonight's game, right? He didn't just have one. He had, he yeah. had more than one chance. They had in this two breakaways period, in tonight's game. He had two breakaways in this period. Oh, yeah. Because la- later on in the third, he just broke in behind Duxty, and he probably would have scored on the backhand, but Nick Ritchie slashed him with about three mm. minutes to go in the game. So, you know, he, he he looked pretty good. He's looked better as of late. And, yeah, I mean, two two breakaways for a guy like Max Pacioretty, you're lucky he didn't score both of them, right? He, he mishandles the puck. That doesn't happen often. And then you get a slash from Nick Ritchie that prevents him from even getting the puck to the back end. So you just you can't do that against anybody in this league. And Max Patrick is one of the worst guys that you want that to happen for. Um, and then not long later, after the first Patrick chance, Raquel just turns the puck over in his own oh, zone. And, yeah. you know, probably to the guy, if you had to pick one guy to turn it over to, it's Ryan Reeves. But still, it's a prime scoring chance, and and you know it's a tough save for Gibson to make. And right, we've seen Reeves score goals; like he can play he hockey. Can. Oh, I don't, he's not a bum. He can play hockey. But I mean, if you had to pick somebody in this lineup, right? I would probably pick Ryan Reeves if I had to give the puck over to anybody. Um, Sorry, I had to let the puppies out of the office; they're driving me nuts. <laughs> no worries, but the, the cold nights have a, a ton of guys who can who can just hurt you, put the puck in the back of the net. So, oh yeah. Like, Maybe Derek Anglin or, or Belmar over Reeves, but still, Reeves would be up there at a guy I'd pick. But good save by Gibson, nonetheless. Yeah, and you know, you really can't fault Gibson in this game either, right? So you got an empty netter, and that's unfortunate for anyone on the ice. I think I think Gooley was out against that goal, and he was out with a goal against the, where he got kind of he got kind of got caught by Alex Tuck. So those two. Yeah. Um, but the goals that were given up by John Gibson, he had a great game. It, it, he did enough to where the Ducks should have won, but it's just the offense just hasn't been able to pull through. And they didn't get some of the – I don't know. I'll get your opinion on this. So Vegas, you saw breakaways. You saw opportunities there. I don't really feel like the Ducks had the same level of openness for opportunities. Would you agree with that? They had some high-danger chances for sure, but I feel like yeah, – They didn't have any breakaways. They didn't – you know, they, they had an, one empty netter uh, that they could have scored on. That was Perry and hit the post. Uh, but Vegas had to hit a couple posts as well. They actually, I think they had two or three, and two of them, uh, I think one in each period. They had a post in the first, a crossbar from England in the second. I believe they hit the post again in the third period. So, yeah, Vegas, was get, it seemed like they were getting the, the higher quality scoring chances, but the Dutch just weren't getting those wide-open looks, the breakaways, the obvious ones. I mean, you look at expected goals, the Ducks were getting the better quality yeah. Of chances this game, expected goals were 3.2 for the Ducks and 2.4 for Vegas. So that tells you the Ducks were getting the higher quality chances. And hey, if they figure out their power play tonight one time, yeah. then they also did a two-one game. Yeah, and, and you know they got a lot of these higher quality chances from late second into the third, where they just kind of steadily increased their their way above the goal tonight. So you look at the quality of chances, the Ducks had the higher quality chances, and, and based on expected goals, they probably should have won this game. But they weren't getting, like you said, and, and I agree with you, the glaring chances, the ones you obviously see, the breakaways, like I said, the, the open nets, the, the, the passing plays on the power play. Like they weren't getting those ones. But they were still they were still generating high-quality chances more than we've seen lately. Yeah. No, they got them. I, I just feel like they don't create enough space for themselves. Like they get these rebound chances, these chances in tight, uh, which are high-quality. But the Ducks just aren't really good at creating a lot of space for their players. Like, on the rush like they don't create a lot off the rush uh it's usually they could bang bang play down low where they're getting opportunity uh at least as of late and it's just not going in for them. it's really unfortunate perry hit the post that and a power play goal and you could say if and or but for anything in the in life but if that if perry scores in the empty net right there and they get one power play goal but they haven't been able to figure out their power play all year this game's a different story with the power play there i just i feel like when your team's struggling five on five to score you you got to find a way to score in a power play and i i feel like the ducks yeah. just haven't been able to figure that out well, who do you think had the better chances in that game vegas or anaheim i mean like anaheim had anaheim had really good chances all game um it just the speed of vegas creates man it is great but that I mean, that second period for anaheim that. was so dominant it yeah dominant i mean normally i would period. say that but i like when the numbers are so overwhelming 
I just tend you tend to have to side with them. I mean, the Ducks in every period except the first outchanced uh, Vegas in high danger chances, and especially in the second, eight to two, three three in the first, six four in the second, seventeen nine in high danger chances yeah. for the entire game. Yeah, and like won. I said, they, <laughs> they they were well on top in expected goals. I mean, uh, and even just from watching the game, yes, I think it was a little more even if you take in the eye test, but. When you put all those together, the, the Ducks had the better quality chances in this game. The problem is, and the problem has been all year, they um, just can't cash in on They them. don't have elite-level scoring? Yeah, and, and they're missing open nets. Like, you just can't cash in. And then they got a, they did get robbed a couple of times by Marc-Andre Fleury. And, and, you know, the last play that we really have to look at in the third period here was Ricard Raquel making that filthy toe drag. When is he going to score a damn goal? I like, know he looks so good in this game too. That's what that's what sucks. And he that this was the best play of the game for him, making the toe drag around Colin Miller. And then he almost pulls a Forsberg where he tries to, to one hand it on the far side by Flurry. But again, Flurry so aggressive coming out, coming out of the paint to really break down the entire angle. And luckily it just sticks under his pad for him and he, and the Ducks can't score there. But I mean, come on, like these are the chances they're getting in this game and, and are they they're either missing the net or Flurry's making a save like this. What are you going to do? It's unfortunate that it comes at the heels of the Ducks just not being able to win games, but as, as negative as we can be about this, the positive side of it, and I know some Ducks fans don't like it, I, I we've talked about it at nauseum this season, but I never want to root for my team to lose, but when you have a chance to get a upper echelon player, elite-level talent in, uh, in Kako or Jack Hughes or maybe even a, a pick at, at four or five, um, you kind of have to embrace it at this point. This team is just not competitive enough. And it's like, you can get the chances all day, but if you can't bury them, whatever. What does that mean? It means nothing. Yeah. The Ducks don't have a finisher on this team. They're relying on Corey Perry, who's on two bad knees and three years past his prime. I like Corey Perry. I didn't think he was going to be a game changer when he's come back. So far, he hasn't been. He's had his chances tonight for sure. But uh, you got to finish the opportunities. That's what makes you from a, a good hockey player to a great hockey player. The Ducks just don't have any great hockey players right now. They got a lot of guys that just aren't able to finish. Sorry. You know what the problem is, too? As you said, they're so bad right now, and you're hoping for a top, top pick. The problem is, yeah, they've lost five in a row, and, and they're 3-7-0 in their last 10. But the three teams they're always mentioned with of being the worst in the league have actually been worse than the Ducks have been. Which is, Ottawa's how is it possible last... the Ducks have been shut out eight times this year? They, they can't score. Right? Seven in the last 28 games. Uh, eight of those, seven of those last eight shutouts have been in the last 28 games for the Ducks. But, you know, like I said, Ottawa has lost their last six. They're 2-8 and 10 of their last 10. Detroit's lost their last six games. And they're 2-6 and 2. And the worst team in the league right now is the LA Kings. They've lost their last 10. games. Holy and they're hell. They're on a 10-game losing four. streak? 0-6-4 over oh, their last 10 games. Boy. So, yeah, you know, the Ducks are tanking <laughs> right now, and they're going for the tank, and they've still got themselves into that number four spot as worse in the league. But then you've got all the other teams who have longer losing streaks than the Ducks are. That's and, you know, horrific. Detroit, Detroit still sits two points behind Anaheim with a game in hand, so there's a chance the Ducks could go level with them. Uh, even, even on a 10-game losing streak, the LA Kings are still only three points behind the Ducks with a game in hand. And then, you know, the Ottawa Centers, where they will probably finish, are dead last in the league with 49 points. Uh, a good eight points back from the Ducks. And on a six-game losing streak, they'll probably finish there. Um, that's a comical situation. It gets better every game with the fact they fired their coach and Pierre Dorian went into the room and said, you guys aren't good enough. God. Well, we fired <laughs> well, your coach. We fired, we fired Guy Boucher, but it's your yeah. fault. You guys aren't good enough, but we traded your three best players away, but you guys, you guys aren't cutting it. Well... Yeah, that that's kind of obvious. How are you going to fire the guy with twenty games left? Yeah, it, it makes no sense. I, I mean, what, what that, you, that what organization? Ugh, anybody who like, wants I, to complain, what were you my... expecting, right? Like, what changed? Like, you, you, all that changed was you traded away the coach's three best players, and they're like, "Oh, you're not doing good enough with what we've given you, which is nothing. We're going to fire you." You might as well at that point just wait to the end of the season. His contract was up anyway, and like I understand, we we should know about being forced. To have to fire a guy by, by firing Randy Carlock to yeah. how bad it got. But, but still, I mean, this point, after the trade deadline, after you trade the guy's three best players away, then you fire him? Like, come on. If then you, you go, feel then bad you go about anything that you're doing in life, just go and read what's happened in Ottawa this year. 
just go and check it all out. From was they were the ones who got in trouble in the taxi cab in Phoenix, right? Yeah. Yep. Duchesne, yeah. that whole that whole debacle. Duchesne getting traded. Um, super happy he gets the private jet with his dog and Ryan Dezingle. Uh, they traded away Mark Stone. Um, <laughs> the whole Eugene Melnick saga with him making that creepy, weird video. Them comp- was it last it's year comparing it to? It's just if oh my god! The worst team this year on and off the ice. It's been the Ottawa Senators and their arena deal. I believe their downtown arena deal just fell through, so they're not even getting the downtown arena at all either. So they don't every- it. and and they don't even own their first round pick. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. Like I feel so sorry for Senators fans, and there's a lot of them where I am right now, and like. I don't think anybody, any franchise in a very long time has experienced this much just crap. Edmonton in, in a year and a half. Uh, I don't, I don't know, man. man. This Edmonton even through all of it had their their own first round picks. Yeah, and but like, they've, they, they've they been, they they've lose, been crapped on for years. They didn't lose franchise player after franchise player. They didn't lose an Eric Carlson. They didn't lose you know Mark Mark Stone. They didn't lose now Duchesne. And I know they're not all franchise players, but when they're the best players on your team, they're essentially your franchise players at the time. You lost all of these guys. Like they're all gone. There's nothing, and like you don't have even a reward for it in a year where you've got a guy like Jack Hughes that you would potentially be able to put at number one center for a very long time. You don't even get him because. You made a trade to get rid of that first round pick for a guy you just traded to get another first round. Oh, pick. that's so brutal! <laughs> so it, it's it's. I don't I don't want this to turn into a Senators podcast. I think the last people want to hear us talk about is how bad the Ottawa Senators are. So let's get into our post game stuff, where it's just basically negative things about the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> that that's what it is. And we already brought up the first one, but the Ducks shut up for the eighth time this year, and seven of them have come in the last twenty eight games. You know, we, we mentioned on the last show how the Ducks are not on pace, but are getting close to being the franchise's uh, the worst offense across the season in franchise history. They needed it's, to finish. It's got to be close. It's got to be so yeah. close. Well, they didn't score tonight, so I believe they're still at 140, 142 goals for on the season and 175, I believe. I'd have to go double check our notes from last game, but 175, I believe, is the, the franchise low. So they just got to score just under two goals per game to not pass that mark and be franchise worst. And they get shut out tonight. So, and, and other than the, the Blackhawks game where they, again, they went against the league's worst, worst defense. They, they've only scored two goals over the, the other three games. So they could very well hit it, which is just embarrassing when you look at some of the players they have here. And the fact that they should not be only at 142 goals this year. I, I still don't get it. Like, I honestly don't like, this is a team last year that, they weren't great offensively, but they weren't this bad. Well, everyone's just having a down year on top of having a crappy coach with a crappy system. Injuries again. They're going to they're gonna blame injuries again. You can find everything in the book to throw at this team, but I've gotten flack from Ducks fans already uh, on Twitter this season, but I just, they don't have the guns anymore. They just don't have the guns anymore. And I think it was all coupled with the, to, with, with the coaching the systems, the injuries, um, all gets to a perfect storm here, and then they and then people have a down year, and I just think that all just brought apart this team from the ground up, and now we're going to see it be retooled. Players are being moved, some have already been gone. Now we're going to see some time in the summer where Murray's going to come out and make changes, according to him. That's yet to be seen, but uh, I mean, name a pure goal scorer on this team. Name one. A pure goal scorer on this team? Yeah, name one. I, before this year, I would have said Ricard Raquel, and that probably would have been it. That's because it. they don't they don't have anybody else. And Corey Perry, you know, a couple of years ago, but uh, the way he's been playing over the last two or three seasons, it's not him. So that's it. It, it really is the only guy I think is uh, maybe Andre Kasha, but again, I still don't think I've seen enough of him to say he's a pure goal scorer. Yeah, that's he a tough. That's a tough offense. label to give somebody. Right, you really, yeah. really, really have to make sure. Well, when you get back-to-back thirty-goal seasons, you're a pure goal scorer. So, Ricard Raquel going into this year was a pure goal scorer, but he hasn't even cracked ten goals. He has nine goals this year. I know, and he's been injured. I know. I know how much you love to say that because he, when he, you know, he's so reliant on Ryan Getzlaff, which to some extent is true. But you still have to score thirty goals, right? Like 
you, you, a guy's just not handing you 30. I think even without Getzlaff, Ricard Raquel, in, in a good year, is still a 20-goal score. And then you put him with an elite playmaker like Ryan Getzlaff, and you might be able to get him to 30 goals, right? And, but he's still, I think, a pure goal scorer. This the skill set that he possesses. I think he can he can have that label, but this year he's making it hard to, to kind of classify him as that. It's just a down year. I mean, the numbers would tell you that too. So he he is a good goal scorer. But, I mean, if you're going to give the, the pure goal scorer label, it's got to be him. And that's what I was hoping you were going to say. I'm like, name one. That's the one the Ducks have. Look, he's 25. He turns 26 here in May. He's still got time. Uh, he's in his prime. And he's shooting at half the percentage of his career. You know, career-wise, he's a 12% shooter this year. He's at 6.5. That's a lot. That's a lot. So yeah. that's a huge difference in in a um, in a scorer's ability to bury the puck. We've seen it time and time again across the league. This just happens sometimes. I would expect a big bounce back year for Ricardo Kill next year. Um, this you're not going to see him score nine and fifty one games like he is right now. I feel like he's going to have a yeah. much better year next year for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it, I don't know about thirty, but I think it'll be in between twenty five. You know, it'll be, it'll, it'll be twenty. Scoring. It'll be above twenty. It'll be twenty to twenty five. And, and if again, if he has a really good year, it could be thirty again. I think yep. he still possesses that ability. That's never going to go away for him. I think he still possesses the ability to be a thirty goal scorer. And the fact that he's hit, you know, before this year, 20, over twenty over the, the last three seasons is he. He definitely will continue to be a consistent twenty goal scorer for this team. This what remains to be seen is is will he be a consistent thirty goal scorer, which is very hard to keep up. That's uh, tough to do in the league. Yep. Yeah, it, it's it's not something that happens every day where you get a guy who can consistently hit thirty year after year after year. I mean, even back to back seasons is impressive. But I think we're all surprised to see Ricardo Raquel be be able to actually even be to, to post those numbers back to back years. So we'll see if he gets back to it. I, I'm not exactly sure if he can. I hope he does, but it all depends on what the Ducks look like next year. So. Let's get into a further breakdown of Brendan Gooley's game because I think it, it, it is worth mentioning the way he played tonight because it was his best game in a Ducks uniform. Uh, and I, I didn't see any of his games in Buffalo before this, but this probably would have to be close to a, a career-high in minutes played for him. He was over 24 minutes when I, I just double-checked now. And just a unbelievable game for this guy. And at 21, I mean, he looked... You know, Cam Fowler looked good as well, but he looked the better of Cam Fowler in this game. Looked arguably, and I would say likely, the best Ducks defenseman in this game, which is impressive when you look at the fact that the Ducks still had Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson together, who also played a pretty strong game. But just looking at some numbers, he played over 24 minutes tonight. Corsi 4 percentage was 59.18. Scoring chance 4 percentage was 64.52. He was second in expected goals for the Ducks. And he was on the ice for the most 5v5 scoring chances at, I believe you said, 21. So very, very good game for Brendan Cooley. Very promising to see him put up a game like this. And his minutes have been increasing game by game until, like I said today, over 24 minutes and only five seconds behind Cam Fowler for being for leading the, the defense in ice time. He had, a, he, had a will, he had a will of the game. And not only did he, uh, did he have such a good performance um, – with just generating chances. They, they generated high danger chances when he was on the ice. I would love to go back and watch some of the tape to see what was generated from him. But when he was on the ice, there was 10 high danger chances for the Ducks um, in all situations, not just 5-on-5, five five, compared to the opposition only getting 5 uh, from within the house area in front of John Gibson. Sure, he got beat by Tuck, and then he was out there for the empty net goal. What are you going to do with an empty net goal? So he gets burned on one play, but that's bound to happen. You can't, it's hard to fault that guy. He had such a great game otherwise than that one small play. And, you know, same same goes for the rest of the defense and John Gibson. When your forwards aren't scoring goals and you get walked one time or something, you make a mistake, it's hard to bury the guy, right? I, I feel like he yeah. had a really, really strong game. And, um, you know, I, I feel like this is really going to be something that we have to look forward to. I, I was not upset about the Brandon Montour trade. Um, all, all the word on the street about uh, about about, uh, about Gooley was that he was a good skater and, you know, obviously one of the fastest skaters. Jason and I talked about it. You and I talked about it. was the sixth fastest skater in the AHL. And yeah. all the reports out there is that he, can, he plays a solid two-way game. So why not? If he pans out to be what Brandon Montour is, that's exactly what we want. Uh, someone who is cost-controlled and somebody who can skate. So I'm happy with it. And he had, he had a hell of a game. 
the one thing I've been impressed with and a bit surprised with with Gouli is just how smart he is and how high of a hockey IQ that he has at, at such a young age. Because the the broadcast highlighted, I think, midway through the second period, just some of the smart plays and, and the ways he was easily exiting his own zone and gaining entry to the offensive zone effectively or just making the smart play to just dump the puck in or bounce it off the glass. I mean, he's making all these these high IQ plays at, at such a young age and doing it better than even Hampus Lindholm was doing it. it you know, I'm not going to say over. It's it's a small hey, sample Lindy's size. Hey, Lindy's had but, a rough year, man. No, and it's hard, a small sample size. But boy. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not going to you know I'm not trying to <laughs> criticize Hampus Lindholm, but I'm just trying to to praise Brendan Gooley because you know that is something difficult to to do at such a young age on, on a blue line to, to make consistent smart plays throughout the entire game. And you know, again, we talk about his speed, but his speed, but just the smart way. He uses his speed. He's not just a running gun guy. He doesn't just, you know, like Cam Fowler, where he knows he has speed and he just uses it, but doesn't necessarily utilize it in a smart way. He's just fast. Brennan Gooley is, is smart and fast. He won't always use full speed if he doesn't have to, but he knows he can get to that top gear if he needs to. And, you know, again, I, I, I have to stress, it is a small sample size, and very, there's plenty very, very of time small. for it to completely go south. But, this is a really good sign when you look at, you know, you don't you don't see Gooley out there and notice that he's that fast. But when he has the ability to turn to that top gear, you get surprised. And I think that's effective to have in a game because everybody knows Cam Fowler's fast. The opposition knows Cam Fowler's fast because he's always at top gear when he's flying, which it can be, you know, that's can, that can make you successful in the game. But when you're a guy that goes out there, especially when a team doesn't know a lot about you and you're not always going at top speed, you might catch a couple guys when all of a sudden you turn it on, you blow by a guy that has no idea that you have that, the ability to possess that speed and you, you pick the exact right moment to, to jump up in the play and jump up in the rush. And Brennan Gooley seems like he has all the tools to be successful. I think a, so too. I think he text. definitely does. And I feel like being paired with, uh, with Cam Fowler is a good thing because good old Cammy gets caught a lot. So we need somebody with speed to really get back with the defensive know-how. So I agree with you, man. He's got the tools with the proper development. I, he, he's going to be a solid defenseman in this league. Yeah, and, and that's two games now that Cam Fowler and Brendan Gooley have looked good together. So, And that's the first two full games they've been play, placed together uh, since the start of the game. So Just keep losing, I'm, but make it look good. Make it look well, good. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how they do together because yeah. it's always a question on who Cam Fowler is going to be able to put with. Yep, and uh, we'll have to see if it pans out. Um, Jakob Silverberg's contract this today was, uh, I guess, made almost official. The Ducks didn't tweet it out, but there was more news, and today was the first day they could actually announce it. But uh, I think it was uh, five five years. That's twenty six million. Yeah, twenty six and change got to like five point like one or something. Yeah, it's five point two five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, instead of a ten t- a ten team no trade clause, it was twelve. So Whatever. he has. 12 yeah. teams he can say no to. I know and a lot of people are confused about it. It's not 12 teams. He can, he doesn't give them 12 teams, and they can only trade them to those 12 teams. Like uh, like Cam Fowler's where he gives them four, and they, he, they can only trade them to those four teams. It's He gives them 12 teams he doesn't want to go to. Then they have 18 other teams that they can trade him to. Not a big so deal. It's not, yeah, it's not a big deal. And also, it, that does, that means he's not doesn't have to be protected. It's not a no-move clause. So he doesn't have to be protected in the Seattle expansion draft. And the Ducks actually have no players going to that expansion draft who have to be protected. So a little bit of luck that Seattle's expansion draft got pushed back a year. Otherwise, if it was in, in where it was supposed to be, they would have had to protect Kessler, Getzlaff, and Perry. So a little bit of luck that that isn't going to be the case. But also learning from the mistakes they made in the first expansion draft, not giving out some no-move clauses to some of the, the recent contracts that they've signed, knowing that they would have to protect those guys going to the Seattle draft. Because there's a lot of young guys they risk losing, like Max Jones or Sam Steele or yeah. Isaac Linder. I mean, so, but look, they should have moved Jacob Silverberg, but if you're not going to move they him, but if yeah. you're not going to move him, this number's not going to kill you as long as you can move some other pieces in the offseason, which which Bobby has to do. You can't carry $35 million into the next season, Bob. You just can't do it, Bob. You need to stop. I'm going to be seeing you next Saturday at the Orange Alliance Pancake Breakfast where Bob Murray's going to be. And if I get anywhere close to him, I'm going to say, what are you going to do about the cap next year? What do you mean he's going to recognize you? Because uh, we, we met at Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm going to make sure when I see him, I'm going to be very polite. He's going to call you over to sit next to him. I'm going to say, Mr. Murray, 
Um, I appreciate all the things you've been saying. I, I really appreciate how red your face gets on national TV when you're upset. Um, it's it's worse than Brucey's, just for the record, when he was here as coach. But um, I know you're trying to do the best job you can. What are you going to do about that cap? Come on, bro. You got a lot of money tied up in Getzloff, Perry, Kessler, Henrique, and now Silverberg. Ah, buddy, you you, you got to figure it out. Yeah. He's got to figure the it out. The good thing, the good thing is, and, and I don't want to say the good thing, but the the relief is with the cap is the Ducks don't have any players that they have to sign in the short term. They don't like big name players. Brandon Montreal would have been that guy, but he's gone. He's not here anymore. Ricardo no, Kelso's, I think, three but, or four I mean, years. But how fast do you want to? I don't. I don't want to get into a rebuild show. But I mean, how, how fast and how long do you want to be in a retool rebuild? Not. You don't want to be there that long. The you want it to be fast. This is the problem. This this is where I think uh, you, even you, me, and Jason all have different opinions on this. And I think where a lot of Ducks fans disagree on this and on how fast the Ducks can be competitive again. Jason thinks that they can be competitive next year or the year after. Yeah, because this division's garbage. Well, I think they're three or four years out of being a really, truly competitive team, which means it's after okay, the contracts so of Okay, so contender status is what we're talking about here. Yeah, it, any team can make the playoffs any year if they have a good year. There's been teams that have yeah, gone from the big, Islanders. to the bottom of the league. The look at the Colorado Avalanche when they went from being the bottom of the league one year to top and then back to missing the playoffs the next year. Hell, any Phoenix might make the playoffs this year. Maybe they're 1.0. Exactly. So the, like any team can go from being bad to good. And, you know, yes, Phoenix made some additions, but any team could make the playoffs essentially. You know, the Ottawa Senators at the beginning of this year probably didn't have a shot, but when you have a Mark Stone, a Thomas Shabbat, Matt Duchesne, if everything goes right and a lot of new additions play well, and you get a hot goaltender, you can make the playoffs. No, there's 16 teams that make the, the, the playoffs. There's a good chance if you just play well and play hot for a couple months, that will get you into the playoffs. I'm talking about being a contender for the Stanley Cup, or at least a contender mm. to go deep in the playoffs and be a threat, mm. which is the Ducks have been. Getting back to the point they were a couple years ago, that is at least three or four years out for the Ducks if they get a, a Jack Hughes and a Capocacco this okay, year. Okay, okay, hold on. But they need more than that. They need they more than that. So they need they need to maneuver pieces. Terry to they come need, up and play well. Well, they need secondary scoring. Okay, and That's they need to they find a, they need to find a replenished uh, left wing. They need to find something on the left side. Well, see. If that's what you have to know, what you have in prospects, and you have that's why it's going to take a couple of years to really know what you have in a Maxim Comtois and a Max Jones. Max Jones just looked great, hasn't been able to put the puck in the back of that. He's been probably the most snake person I've seen Ducks lineup he in will. a long time. He's going to score, so he eventually will. And when he scores, people hate the catch up bottle term, but it should apply to this where he'll start scoring more often, hopefully. Maxim Comtois, a lot of people believe he's going to be able to come in this league and be a consistent 20-goal scorer, but there's such a small sample size, we don't know. But everything, every every sign points to him coming in and being successful. So if that's the case, you've got those two who are designated left wings. Ricard Raquel, who has essentially been a left wing since moving over from the center position. Yep. That's pretty good left wing depth, in my opinion. I don't know if you have to go there. That's if those guys pan out. On the right, you've got Troy Terry. You've got... Uh, well, I guess so Jakob Silverberg now. So maybe you might want to address a little bit on the right side. And then up the middle, you've got Getzlaff still. Mm. You've got Isaac Lindstrom. You've got Sam Steele. And if they turn out to be good second, and like 2A, 2B situation, the Ducks are going to have plenty of secondary scoring. Okay. The problem becomes replacing a Ryan Getzlaff and a Corey Perry. And a Corey Perry. This yep. year, if you get a Jack Hughes. And next year, if you're not good again, or at least even if you miss the playoffs, but you don't get a top pick, if you get a top 10 pick, and you can go out and get a winger, then you're, you're set to go. And obviously everything has to pan out, but then you now have to wait for these young guys to develop. You're talking and three I, to four I, years for those guys to get experience, depending how least, young they are. Yeah, they need least. to marinate quite a bit in the in, in And the that's NHL. not that bad. That is not that bad. No. You're looking at teams who've taken 20 years to rebuild and get to that point. Look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Look at the Edmonton Oilers and how long it took them. And the Edmonton Oilers are still not even there. And, I mean, look at how long it takes some of these teams to finally get it right. Look how long it's taken Vegas. (laughs) That's that's completely different. The Ducks have all the primer in place. They have all the primer in place as in younger prospects who can fill the bottom half of the lineup, a good young defense core, and a great young goaltender. They just need those two top-end pieces and everything, you know, some of these guys to not So hard to get. So hard to get. And you never know what you have in a prospect until they play in the NHL. You just don't know. Yeah. So and, again, and everyone, everyone who's lighting me up about Maxime Comtois killing it in Drummondville, 
you got to understand, he, he's too good for that league. Okay. He's also yeah. He's also he's too good. He's been there. He's been in that league for three or four seasons. Uh-huh. And every every player or not every I don't want to say every player, but a lot of players, especially guys who get nineteen and twenty in in junior in Canada, will play better. There'll be guys for the first two or three seasons in junior will be a twenty thirty point guy. Then they'll get on a good team in their last year and they'll jump up to 80, 90 points. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. They're overages. And yes, I know Maxim Comtois is still I believe nineteen, so he's a little bit younger than some of those guys. And he's scoring at a ridiculous rate, but he's playing on a very good team with one of the best centers in the league. And he is also an older guy who's had some experience, not just in the World Juniors, but in the NHL and in the AHL. He's got a lot more experience than a lot of these guys. And he's gone from playing against NHL goaltenders to goaltenders in the QMJHL who aren't really that good. So, yes, it's great he's doing well, but you can't just say because he's doing well there, he's now going to come into the NHL and be a 70-point guy. You know, no, there's, there's we'll, the, we'll have to happen. wait and see on that. Let, let's get to some uh, some of our questions here, Eddie. We're almost at an hour here. Oh, you want it? You don't want to go to the Sean Avery video, huh? Ah, <laughs> I love the Sean Avery video. I absolutely love that Sean Avery video. <sighs> well, if you haven't checked it out, go check out Sean. Uh, just search Sean Avery in in Twitter because we oh, had we had a Patreon beautiful. show the other day, our Pucks and Brews show for our ten dollars patrons, where we talked about. Uh, the Islanders fans booing John Tavares. I wish we had this fodder. Oh, it was gold. It was so uh, gold. It was everything I've ever wanted to come out of my mouth in those words. Uh, I ragged. I mean, he summed it up better than we did. And we talked about uh, it for about 20 minutes yesterday. He, he did it in less like than a, a minute. A minute video. Yeah, like a 54 second video on his Instagram. Can't even play it on here because it's, it's, it's just filled with expletives and we don't swear on this show. Uh, well, so. this, that's why I was going to play it because there was a beeped out version, but. So now, now I gotta pull it up. I gotta pull it up for everybody now. But yeah, you gotta because, put the beeped out version for all the children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah, because it's other than that, it's it's filled with it. But yeah, basically, he rips uh, Islanders fans, for which what as we, he as he should, and so should everybody. Yeah, because it was ridiculous. I mean, they they booed a guy who'd been there for ten seasons and uh, did nothing. Here he, he did right, nothing, just, but just, he just did play everything for that team. But yeah, we don't gotta, need to talk. Oh, I gotta load it up here. You don't want to hear me talk about hockey, but you, the New York Islander fans, calling John Tavares a snake, throwing snakes on the ice. Who the f- are they kidding? That guy played ten years in that f- dump. With those <laughs> fans, didn't say a word. Was a great captain. Never got arrested. Didn't say boo. You losers want to ruin his night coming back to play for you guys. What was he supposed to do? Lie during the season? Or was he supposed to give the answer that all athletes give when they know they're not coming back to a team? You greasy Islanders. You guys can get out and cheer in your own barn by Ranger fans every time the Rangers play the Islanders in Long Island. You. Oh, man. So that's a, <laughs> a former Ranger great, Sean Avery, uh, just ripping into to New York Islanders fans for good reason, like we said. And, uh, man, that that's, like you said, in under a minute, that perfectly summed up everything that we said in about 20 to 30 minutes on our Patreon show yesterday where we were just ripping into Islanders fans for, for being ridiculous. But Sean Avery, no filter, just goes – I mean, it's just funny because this guy, you know, he has no filter, but doesn't really Should talk to the Islanders fans have booed him. Absolutely. Should they have gone over the top like oh, they did? Absolutely no. not. You have to boo no, no, him. No. You have to boo him. You don't have to boo him. Oh, no, you, you have, have to boo him. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Why? You have to boo him. He was the franchise. We're not. We can't, it's a duck show. We can't. Okay, this. We'll talk this later fine. Now. I'll just say this then: If Getzlaff, after ten seasons, seven hundred games, was traded away for he went wasn't away traded he left well sorry if he left in free agency because the team was just an absolute shit show and the way everything was run would you think ducks fans would boo him the oh, first time oh, he came 100%. back i don't know i don't know they booed paul korea that's the exact know. same thing korea was here 10 years maybe I, I just think it's ridiculous that they're booing him but i don't let's uh you can boo him let's stop just stop the extra Stop the extra crap. All right, let's let's get to the questions, my friend. Yeah, pull them up now. 
That's not what we're... I'll go through Instagram right now. We've got uh, Canadian girl hit us up. She said, I miss Getsy. When is he coming back? Don't know. No idea. No idea. Hopefully soon. Very concerning. Very concerning. They said soon, right? They said upper, they upper body injury. Do we, do we know exactly what it is now? It's not a concussion, please. It's like a back, I think. I think it's like um, back or uh, something. Yeah. So That's I'm what not... Jason was saying. Because he missed practice like uh, a week and a half ago for a uh, back injury. So. And then Sons of Hockey asks, is the third jersey curse real? I'm not familiar with that. Do you know what no, the I, third... just, I, I don't know. There, there must be like them. They must like lose. The, in all the well, like, no, like the year that that's released, that's when things are bad. Oh, I thought I think he means just this. The, the, anytime the Ducks wear their third jersey this year, they've been bad. I mean, the, the most times I remember they've lost. When I, when I was at the game in Toronto, they wore them and got blown out. They lost tonight. So I, I actually want to go back down, look into their record with the third jersey because I mean, the record in general this year is bad. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have barely won any games in the third jersey this year. They seem to pull them out against pretty good teams as well. So I could imagine that uh, it, it isn't a pretty record this year, which is sad when most of those third jersey games, I think they come at home. So yeah, that's, uh, that's not too pretty when you're losing a lot of those games at home either. No, and, and real quick uh, to, for Canadian Girl, Ryan Getzloff is skating on his own since Tuesday. So he's been on the ice for about three days, three, four days now. Uh, they're going to reevaluate him again on Sunday, as always. Probably, you know, you'll see if he's out for the morning skate. But it is probably something to do with his back, like Jason said, because I haven't seen anything for concussion at all. I don't remember him getting hit. So, but that's it from Instagram. Yeah, I, I think I, honestly, I think that's it in general. Most people checked out on uh, on Twitter about second midway through the second period just because they knew what type of game it was going to be uh, um, so so that pretty much uh, wraps it up for the show we got over an hour which isn't too bad a um, couple things again like we always have uh, we mentioned we recorded a patreon show the other day so we recorded our pucks and brews show which is for our ten dollar patrons um, if you haven't checked out our patreon yet and you like this show we have four bonus episodes that we do over there We've got three of them in a $5 tier where we do a Q&A show, we do a rant show, and uh, we do oh, – we've, st- we've we've switched these up so many times. Top 10 and rant. Right, yeah. We've, we've, and because of how th- things have gone this season, the top 10 has occasionally turned into just a random show where we've had a Seattle expansion draft look. We've had a uh, recently a Ducks rebuild look at it. So – We'll, we'll be doing a lot of different shows there, so make sure you check it out. We've got a dollar tier if you just want to support the show. We've got a three dollar tier as well, and everybody gains uh, who comes to Patreon gains access to our, our Patreon Discord chat, where you get to come and just talk hockey with with us all the time. That includes you know any time during the day if we're just on our phones or if it's you know before a game, after a game, whatever. You can uh, have access to that that chat at any time. So it, it's pretty fun. So if you want to come out and support the show and, and get some more content from us, definitely check that out. And I got to give a big shout out, as always, to Cool Hockey because uh, without them, we wouldn't be able to to host Forever Mighty Three Stars effectively, because they give us the jerseys that we get to give away at the end of the contest. Uh, we had Just Bal, who won for February, just snuck snuck away with the win on the last day. He posted two points in the last three games of <laughs> February to and uh, each game, so he had six points across those three games to snatch first place away from Garrett and Sierra. Uh, so he'll be getting his jersey. He's just getting back to us with what he wants. Today was the first game for March. So if you're just hearing this for the first time or you haven't got into it yet, make sure you check our Twitter 45 minutes before puck drop for the, the post. And it'll be three questions you can answer. Each correct answer gets you a point on the leaderboard. And whoever's leading at the end of the month will get a nice jersey from Kulaki. can be any team. So if you don't want a Ducks jersey, it can be any team. Uh, but everybody, and I think if Jess Bell goes with the third jersey, then everybody's gone with the Ducks' third jersey oh, yeah. this year. So I think March might be the last time we do it, too. So if you haven't gotten involved, make sure you check it out. Yeah, check us out there. Also, we're doing a watch party here on March 23rd, Ducks vs. Kings. Um, that'll be at Craftsman Pizza here in Anaheim off of Imperial La Palma. I know we've talked about it. Maybe we should probably talk about this mid-show before we get to like the post-post game. So we can get this in for everybody to check out because we're trying to make this one a big one. It's our last one of the year, and it's going to be a goodie against the Kings, and we're working on some menu items where we're able to maybe bring down the discount a bit. But this place has really good pizza. They've got craft beer, but they got regular beer. They have alcohol. 
Uh, they have soda. They got stuff for kids. You got kids' foods. You can bring your kids. But uh, it's going to be a good time. And Eddie's flying in. We got him a ticket to come in to California yep. for the show. And um, shoot, we got to buy your ticket home, or you're going to stay here for a long time. Yeah, so, I'm uh, flying on a Nashville, so it makes <laughs> it a bit easier. But then I have to then I have to make my way back to Toronto. So we got we got to figure out that other ticket. Flight, but I'll be there. I'll be there for the the watch party, which would be nice, and making out to two watch parties this year. So we didn't get out to the first one I was at during the career retirement, not during that game, but that was the the time I was down for. Make sure you come out to this one because I, I I don't know how many times I'll be able to make it down there next year. So I'll if you, stop. You want to come out? Knock it off. Yeah, I probably will. Be. But if if you want to uh, if you want to come out and, and hang out with all three of us, then that would be the day to do it. Uh, March twenty third against the Kings, I believe it is, right? Yep, March twenty third. All right, guys, have a great night, and we'll see you guys Sunday afternoon, Ducks versus Colorado. One o'clock start for that, so the pod will be right after, probably like at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It'll be a good time. Yeah, midday pod. All right, take care, guys. Take care, guys.